Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Safeway makes it easy to save at the pump with your club card because you can use up to 20 cents per gallon in Safeway gas rewards at participating Chevron and Texaco stations. Get more mileage out of your grocery budget, up to 20 cents per gallon. When you shop more at Safeway, you save more at Chevron and Texaco. Maximum reward at participating Chevron or Texaco stations is 20 cents per gallon in a single fill-up, up to 25 gallons. Cannot be combined with any other Safeway gas reward offer. Restrictions and exclusions apply. See complete details at Safeway.com or in store. Hey sports fans, Coach Nick here and welcome to B-Ball Breakdown. I am pleased to have Coach George Raveling with us. And to start off, we are going to talk a little bit about a clinic that you're running, Coaching for Success, at the end of September. And I wanted to hear a little bit more about what that's going to be and what the value of that is for coaches around the country. Well, it's going to, as you said, it's going to be on September 26th and 27th, which uh, is a Saturday and a Sunday. It'll be at Loyola Marymount. Uh, University in Westchester, right out by the airport in, in Los Angeles. I think it's going to be the definitive clinic on the West Coast in many, many years. It'll be headlined by uh, national championship uh, coach John Calipari. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll have uh, Jay Wright from Villanova who had a stellar season last year, Buzz Williams Marquette, Virginia Tech. Uh, Ernie Kent from Washington State, Quanzo Martin from California, uh, Cynthia Cooper, a great women's coach at USC, Dana Altman from Oregon, who's just been doing stellar things up there with the Ducks, and Kevin Eastman, the vice president of basketball uh, for the LA Clippers. So we have a nice cross-section of young and old, uh, a lot of innovative thinkers, a lot of risk takers, as an example, by John Calipari with the platoon system and the combines and things that they're all innovative for this day and age in basketball. But mainly, I think it's an opportunity to get a nice, diverse uh, exposure to basketball education, different styles of winning, different uh, levels of leadership, and and in, and in a culture and a society today that's so driven by information, uh, and information becomes in itself a currency. So this is an opportunity if you're a, a, a basketball coach or even a leader to, to, to sit back and to allow these coaches to take you along a, a journey uh, that ultimately leads to success for them. And if, I always felt when I went to clinics, if I could come away with four or five little nuggets that could help improve my basketball program and the, and the players, it was a worthwhile investment. But I, I honestly believe today in our society, all of us, athletics, athletes, coaches, uh, fans, we all need to invest more time in our personal growth. As we go through this cultural revolution, or evolution in society today, we're all going to be challenged 
to, to be able to quickly make changes in the way we think, the way we do things, the way we, we act as individuals. And so those of us who are gonna grow the quickest are those of us who are information oriented, that we're out every day searching for new information. I'm 78 years old and at this point in my life, I'm trying to figure out what it isn't, what I don't know that I need to know. Well, that's really interesting to say about growth and, and how, you, how you run your program and how that applies to life. Um, is there a, a through line or a pattern that you notice with really good coaches that they all seem to have, whether it's X's and O's or communication? Have you noticed some sort of through line there? Well, I, I think most great coaches uh, are able to emotionally engage with their players. They're able to create a vision uh, I think it's vitally important today in the coach-player relationship that the coach trusts the player and the player trusts the coach. And then the next element is, is, is respect. I, I've, I've always kind of been a person that if you give me the choice between you liking me or you respecting me, I'd much rather that you respected me and then somewhere along the line you'll learn to like me. So I don't know that it's a coach's mission to be liked. I think it is a coach's mission to be respected, but it's respect now becomes a mutual organ. I have to respect the player if I want the player to respect me. Trust, I have to trust the player if the player is going to trust me. And so I think that is at the core of all player-coach relationships, is trust and respect. And from there, you begin to uh, get a buy-in from the player on the vision and the mission and the goals and all those, those tangible things that are necessary to win championship, uh, uh, championships and build championship teams. All great coaches are good communicators. Uh, they're good motivators. Uh, they're, they're good role models. Uh, today, I, I, I wonder often if coach is the right connotation for that person that runs a, a, a program today. I, I've said so much in the last two years that the coaches has a fundamental responsibility today because this is a 21st century model in a, in a time when so many college basketball programs are still being run with a 20th century model. But today, I believe you have two fundamental responsibilities. One, to coach your team. Two, to lead your program. Most coaches are well-versed in the aspect of coaching their team. They have not, in my opinion, been properly trained on how to to lead a program because today at the collegiate level, if if you're most at most levels you're running a, a program that when you put in scholarships and it's all in, it's over a million dollars. So you're running a small business, and that makes you a CEO of a small business. And as a CEO of a small business, you've got to operate strategically. You've got to have the right organizational structure. You got to build a culture. And, and there has to be destinations. And, and so uh, very few coaches today, in my opinion, are being fired because they, they, they don't win. More coaches are getting fired today because of their inability to effectively lead their programs. 
That kind of respect that you talked about, it feels like it's a lot more mutual now where you kind of have to have, they have to respect you, you have to respect your player. Is that fundamentally different than the 60s and the 70s, way back in the day when you had coaches who probably had more power almost, and certainly, mm -hmm. you know, they were more, you know, uh, you, you couldn't talk back to them, you couldn't say anything. Is, is that a fundamental difference with how coaches today have to approach dealing with players? I think you're coaching a different athlete today, uh, an athlete that's more aware, uh, athletes who are born out of a different culture. And I'll use myself as an example. Uh, I graduated from Villanova in 60. I went to Villanova in 56 to 60. I came out of a, uh, out of a parental culture where the thought process was children were to be seen and not heard. When, when we, were, we were taught when we we're in the company of adults, our, we zipped our lip, uh, lips up and, and opened our ears and listened. We were taught to, to say yes ma'am and, and no ma'am, yes sir and no sir. I still do that. Uh, but it, it's, so at the end of the day, I think what we begin to conclude is we're all products of our environment. In the old days, as you suggested, it, uh, most coaches were, it was a dictatorship. Today, I think those that are going to be successful, it's a partnership. I think in the old days, it was my way or the highway. Uh, in the old days, I treated all my players uh, the same. And most of the time, it was a very dictatorial uh, type of, of relationship. Those days are gone forever now. And so that in itself signals to coaches that I have to adapt a new way of thinking. I have to adapt a new coaching style. I have to figure out how do I emotionally connect with this athlete in order to allow him to trust and, and me, respect me, and how do we travel a common road uh, uh, to achieve success? So today, in my mind, it's more about partnerships than it is dictator, uh, dictatorship. You know, the, the new version of basketball we see now is sort of space, three-pointers, very little post-play. Uh, when you coached, did you have a, a distinct style? Did someone walk in the gym and know, wow, that's a, that's a coach raveling team right there because of the way your players played across the, uh, the, the, the years you coached? Well, I, I think it was easier to, to identify styles of play. And not, not that it's, uh, it's difficult now, but in those days, uh, uh, there was a lot more uh, the, uh, innovative thinking. Uh, if there were 12 teams in a conference, all 12 teams ran a different offense. Most of them ran different versions of man-to-man -man or, or zone. Uh, I think today what has happened because of the rule changes, it's, it's really impacted how the game is, uh, is played. Uh, so uh, to offer as an example the three-point shot and the shot clock, I think they have immensely changed the way the game is played. We slowly in the U.S., we are coming around to placing greater value on the three-point shot. The three-point shot and, and, and the distance start to open up the court. Uh, the shot clock also has a great impact on the game. When I played, uh, if, if, if there were a minute and a half to go and, and your team was up eight, the game was over. Today, if you're up eight with a minute and a half to go, you're still in the game. 
If you if the other team mishandles two possessions and you hit two threes, all of a sudden it's a two-point game. And so the rules have greatly impacted how, the, how you can coach the game and how the game is played and administered. Is it better? <laughs> when you say better, I, I guess one of the questions immediately come to mind, better for who? Is it better for the coach? Is it better for the player? Is it better for the spectator? Is it better for the game? My suspicion is that it's, it, 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 it's probably better for the game and, and, and the spectator, uh, more difficult for, for, for the coach. Um, The, the other thing that, that, that goes a little bit untalked un, un about, it, but we'll talk about it, is, is the game is going through a global transition. Uh, for many years, this was primarily uh, a domestic game, and domestic being the U.S. It was pretty much a U.S. game. Today, uh, it's a global game. Uh, there used to be a time when you, if you had USA on your jersey, uh, people would surrender before the game. Those days are over with. Uh, and, and Olympic competition and world champion competition, uh, we'll use Spain at, as an identification. Spain, Spain has t took the U.S. To the, to, right, right to, the, to the final buzzer uh, uh, on consistent uh, basis in recent competition. And we're playing uh, the very best players in the world wearing our uniforms. So it's be truly become a global game. But while I say that, as you go around the, game, the, 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 the globe, the game is played differently. We're the only country in the world that plays under a different set of rules. Everybody else in the world plays under one set of rules, FIBA. The U.S., we play about six. We got boys' rules, girls' rules, college rules, high school rules, pro rules, recreation rules, three-on-three -three rules. So we've got a, a, such a, a, a collection of rules, it makes, once we get into to global competition, it makes the game more complex for us. The other thing is, if you travel enough and you, and you contrast a global game against what I'll say is the domestic game, the domestic game being the U.S., the Americans make the game far more complicated to play than people outside of our, our, our borders. When you talk to people around the world and you ask them about U.S. basketball, especially coaches, that one of the first things they'll say or they'll quiz you about is why do you, you Americans make the game so difficult to play? It's a simple game. And I tend to, to understand why they feel this way. But what the game is growing in popularity, uh, but, and that's despite the fact that there are really only three countries in the world that where basketball is the number one sport. This, this is factual. China, Lithuania, and the Philippines are the only countries in the world where basketball is the number one sport. It's not even the number one sport in the U.S. And so, um, but, but I think there's amazing interest, growth, and participation taking place in basketball outside of our borders. And I think that's great for the game. But what, what do you think is, is more complicated that the other uh, international coaches are thinking about? What, is, what do they mean when they say it's complicated? Is it the the co they, they, their thing is that, that, that uh, 
American coaches uh, make the game too complicated to play by creating these huge systems of play that more times than not don't exploit the innate abilities of the players. They exploit the innate thought processes of coaches, mm -hmm. but they don't bring out the best in the players. And, and I had a conversation with a coach up at the Pan Am Games a few months ago about this. And his theory is that in the U.S. you put too many fences around the players and, and, and the players are smothered and lack the ability to, to chase their outer limits or try to search for their outer limits or to, 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 to achieve greatness because, because you put all these fences around them. That's really interesting. I mean, you know, it's funny. We were seeing um, a lot of the NBA offenses now, the way they're run, to me, it's small ball, right? They're going very small power forwards or 6'7", six, 6'8", six, who can shoot. Um, but to me, it looks a lot more similar to maybe what Philadelphia basketball was like when you were playing, where you'd have four out, right, and maybe one center in, and there'd be a lot of cutting and movement, and they would spread. Maybe they didn't spread to the three-point line, which didn't exist then, but uh, we see a lot of dribble handoff. Right? We see it splits across in front of the post. So I feel like we hear a lot of people talking about this newfangled thing where we're doing all this stuff. And to me, and I like your opinion since you played and coached in that era as well, does it really look that different at the pro level to you? Oh, yeah. There's no, there's no comparison between the, the style of, of uh, play in the NBA now and, and, and 30, 40 years ago. One, the athletes are better. Uh, and, and, uh, uh, quicker, faster, jump higher. Uh, the NBA is, 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 in my opinion, I don't mean this in a mean-spirited way or the way it's going to sound, but in my opinion, the, the NBA is, suffers from groupthink. If you see one team, you've seen them all. The, uh, everything is pick and roll, uh, and, or as they call it, pick and pop. And that, and, 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 and I don't have a problem with it from a coaching standpoint because if, if it produces positive results, then fine. But I, I, as a spectator, when you watch the game, really, uh, when you sit down and you start to analyze the game, if you've seen one team, you've seen them all. Because it, it, the, the offenses in the NBA, in my opinion, are highly dominated by, by and built around pick and pop. And that, and but it works. What I it, it, what I do have a concern about is that the trickle down effect. There was a time when 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 a basketball fan had an authentic choice between and, and a differentiation between college basketball and pro basketball. NBA basketballs had an enormous effect on the college game in the last twenty years, to the point that I think it's marginalized college basketball and its style of play. You see the same thing, the gravitation, the pick and pop to the college game. Shot got, clock gets down to 10, everybody does the same thing. They bring a big guy out, they ball screen, the little guard goes off and burps up a shot and, and the possession's over and that. But I think it would be healthy for the game if there was a distinct difference in the style of play between college and pro basketball. Mm -hmm. When you were coaching, and uh, did you have a pick and roll in your offense? 
When I was coaching? Yeah. No. Really? So when your USC teams, uh, they, I mean, we might we might come out and screen uh, and, and run. When I coach, uh, I, I I was our teams were all. Uh, I'm not sure I'd be that successful now because <laughs> the ads would run me out of the place and whoever was charge of uh, uh, sports marketing on the campus because they would say, "Oh, you guys are boring." But I, but, but when I coached, we ran a, a lot of structured offense. And a lot of it was built to try to bring out the best and the offensive players in that. And, and uh, I, I don't even know if when I was coaching if many pro teams were running pick and pop or it wasn't as pronounced now. But when I played, um, uh, pick and roll was unheard of. Right, but you would got dribble handoff would be the play that you do a lot of, right? Uh, we I don't know that when I last coached at SC, I don't know that we did a lot of uh, dribble handoff. We we were very structured offensively, and mm -hmm. that uh, 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 dribble handoff, or as Calipari likes to call it, dribble drive. The team that I saw, the best team I've seen outside of NBA teams. Uh, in the last 12 months is Brazil's national team. I watched them play up at the Pan Am Games in, in uh, Toronto recently. I think they're extremely well coached. The guy that coaches the Brazil national team is one of the, the 10 best coaches in the world, in my opinion. Uh, they, do, they do a lot of dribble handoffs, uh, 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 great spacing on the floor, really good dribble penetration. Their shot selection is Im impeccable, and they might be as good as any team I've seen recently when, when, with a short clock, when it's six, uh, five, six, seven seconds in there. They, more times than not, one, they're going to get a quality shot, and two, they're, they're going to make it. And they're, they're not just resorting to hold the fist up, do a pick and roll on no, top. No. They're going to get some action. And all of the big guys can shoot face up, stand still, jump shots. Uh, those basketball purists out there, fans who really want to see good basketball, you need to watch this Brazilian national team. You'll see them shortly because the Olympics is getting ready to roll around in, in, in 12 months. And uh, I would be extremely surprised if, they, if, they, if they're not in the top four in the world uh, in, in, the, uh, in the Olympics. Speaking of the Olympics, can we go back in time a little bit and talk about the 1984 Olympic team that you were a part of. Um, I'm kind of curious because certainly the the, the, the name on that uh, team that stands out obviously is is Michael Jordan, uh, but I don't know if anybody really knew who he was or what he could do uh, before that. So do you remember what that was like seeing him in the trials and trying to make the team? Uh, uh, well, first of all, you know Michael's name looms large now, but Bob Knight's name has to be right there with 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 uh, Michael Jordan because Bob was the leader. He was, he was the guy that was driving the bus. Uh, we had, we had a, a, a really good team. Uh, I, I think, uh, uh, well, you, you, have, uh, you have Jordan that's in the Hall of Fame, Ewing's in the Hall of Fame, Chris Mullins in the Hall of Fame. Uh, we, we had some really great players on, on that team. Uh, at the time, I don't know if anybody realized that when Michael was on the 84 team that he was going to end up being arguably the, the number one player of, of all times. There were times 
on a, a frequent basis when doing practice, Michael would do things that were mind-boggling or what we would say were a wow moment. You'd look and you, you, you'd have to say, did I really see what, what he just did? Um, and Michael was not only a very talented basketball player, he had a high basketball IQ. And I think if you were to interview any of those players on the 84 Olympic team, they would all agree that Michael was a great teammate too. Uh, that was the year the Russians uh, boycotted the, uh, the Olympics. So uh, uh, we, that contributed a little bit to us having a great team. I don't care if the Russians played though, they still wouldn't have beaten us. Uh, we, uh, Coach Knight had done an incredible job. I'll tell you how good the team was. Uh, we, we cut four guys who were, were, were <laughs> in the Basketball Hall of Fame right now. Yeah. And, uh, uh, Barkley uh, was one, and, Stockton. Well, and and uh, uh, mailman. So, yeah. so um, Barkley led the trials in scoring, rebounding, and assists and didn't make the team. And, and that's never happened before in the history of the U.S. Uh, uh, selections for Olympic teams. Uh, but it, it was a marvelous experience, uh, one being around the caliber of players like that, but also to have an opportunity for me personally to work under Coach Knight. It was a great learning uh, uh, process for me. Uh, and I thought we, we, uh, we did a great job of staying focused and, and, and keeping ourselves in a position to win the gold medal. Can you think of one of those wild moments that you mentioned uh, that you saw in practice with, uh, with Michael? The times when, when I think Michael created wild moments was when he took the ball to the basket because Michael had a unique ability to become creative once he left his feet, where a lot of players, once they leave their feet, uh, lose uh, mental discipline and body control. Michael never lost mental discipline and body control. He adjusted to what the, the, the obstruction was. Was it a hand in his face? Was it a bump against his body? Was it a seven-footer? Whatever the obstacle was, Michael was quickly able to ascertain what adjustment had to be made. And he would come up with some of the most outlandish shots that you could believe or physically, he would rise above them and dunk it. And, and uh, I, I can remember one time in practice, he dunked over top of Patrick Ewing. Uh, and in those days, that, uh, 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 guys dunking over big players was not as common as it is today. But uh, I, I'm not too sure that Michael wasn't more outstanding and, and unbelievable in practice than he was in, in the games. Uh, Barkley did not make the team even though he led the team in those categories that were pretty key. Uh, was, there a, uh, was there a reason why he couldn't make it? I don't know. I, I would think if Coach Knight was sitting here, he would say that Charles was outstanding. Charles is very gifted. But Coach would be the first to say, it was not my responsibility to pick an all-star team. My responsibility was to to pick the team that I believe gave us the best chance to win the gold medal playing the way I wanted to play. And Coach is, is a very uh, uh, strong-willed person. He, he, his, his system of play has proven championship results, and, and he 
felt the most important thing was to pick 12 players who can best execute the system of play that I'm, that I, that I'm going to uh, present. And at the end of the day, the conclusion was that, that Charles w could probably do it, but it, was, it, it would take some adjustment on Charles' uh, part, and it would take some adjustment on uh, Coach Knight's and the staff's part. And we didn't have that kind of time. Mm -hmm. uh, to, to adjust to, to, to those uh, uh, psychological, attitudinal, behavioral changes that were going to be necessary. Um, you know, Bobby Knight's teams, like, as you said, you know, the, you, they probably, in my opinion, played as well as you possibly could on both sides of the floor. That, the way they played was, was perfect. Uh, the way he coached was obviously controversial at times. Did you coach like he was a coach, or were you different? No, I, I never. I, I learned uh, a wealth of knowledge about basketball, but I uh, I couldn't be Bob because uh, I, my personality was different. My my thoughts and and, and hot buttons were different. Uh, I, I I I don't know too many great people who weren't controversial. The the you hear so much the com people love the and especially in America we love the brand and label people. But tell, very few people who are truly uh, talented and out, have extraordinary talents and skills and leadership ability, they, 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 the first thing you hear is, oh, they got a big ego. Well, how the hell are you going to be successful if you don't have a big ego, if you don't believe in yourself? Uh, uh, mo mo most great leaders, most great innovators, were, were, were controversial, uh, uh, and they're, they're always questionable. I mean, now we, we're here, uh, you know, there, there's just still this debate going on in corporate America today about Steve Jobs as a leader. Uh, you know, uh, yeah, he did all these things, but he was a poor leader. Well, you know, th those, those are, are, are good for uh, an afternoon tea or an evening beer to, to debate those things. But at the end of the day, you can debate that all you want. All I know about Steve Jobs is that he changed the, w the way we live forever. Mm -hmm. And, and all, all the other things, are, to me, are good for the bar room. Well, as we wrap up, um, are there any other coaches that you uh, were greatly influenced that allowed you to, you know, w when you coached and gave you success? Well, I, I, I had the good fortune to really work with or again, uh, 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 mostly with some, some really uh, outstanding teachers, mentors, and leaders for me. I worked under Jack Kraft at Villanova. He averaged about 26 wins a game. Uh, your season when he was at Villanova, uh, it was an absolute master on teaching zone defense. I had the opportunity to work for Lefty yourself for four years at Maryland as his assistant. I could have worked for Lefty for the rest of my life, and I never once had any burning desire to be a head coach. I was extremely happy working for him. He's a great motivator, a great teacher, a great mentor. And then I just transferred for there. Uh, uh, in the Washington State and Iowa and USC, I had a good fortune to work under Bob Knight in, in the uh, 84 Olympics. And that was uh, kind of like going to a mini uh, uh, graduate school because we, we started back in May putting the team together and then we walked across the summer to the Olympic Games uh, as we went f uh, playing exhibition games and training. And so uh, uh, I, I learned so much 
uh, about basketball from Coach Knight. Uh, without it, I don't know that I would have achieved any success. And then I had a great opportunity also to work with, with, with John Thompson. So to me, to be able to sit at the right hand of two of the great coaches of all time, two coaches who won national championships, two coaches who are in the Hall of Fame, two coaches that people would probably say were controversial. Uh, but to me, while they might have been complex in their thought process, uh, there was far more good about Bob Knight and John Thompson than there was ever bad. So I, I've had the good fortune to be in the right place at the right time, so many uh, uh, different junctures of my life that I, I've been richly rewarded as a result of it. Well, to finish with the clinic, uh, the structure is going to be what people will come, they'll hear the coaches talk. Is there any kind of intermingling where the coaches might have a chance to speak with some of the speakers and get oh, a Oh, certainly, kind of certainly. You know, doing, there'll be breaks uh, uh, during the clinic. Uh, some of the, the, uh, the, the people who are attending are going to have an opportunity that, to uh, attend a couple uh, uh, dinners where the coaches will be at. Uh, There'll be videos of, of each uh, uh, lecture that people can purchase later. Uh, we're, we're on a uh, on a fast track schedule, so it, 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 it's it's going to have an academic environment. It's not it's not going to kind of be a, a a fish fry. So <laughs> the, the the primary purpose is to learn, not and and the secondary residual, I guess, would be to be able to socialize with, with your, your fellow coaches and hopefully you can get a, a few uh, questions into the head coaches. And I trust you're going to be up there too offering I'll be there. Wisdom. I'll be there every single uh, second of it and, and I'll also be one of those speakers. Fantastic. Well, this is really terrific insight into the whole realm of what coaching means and I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. A Hall of Famer, Coach George Raveling. And, don't forget, sports fans, at B-Ball Breakdown, we're not a channel, we're a conversation. You in? You in, Coach? I'm absolutely in. I'm going to start. You, you got a new convert. <laughs> when you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can seem intense. Like, breakup R&B intense. I thought you said you love the sweater that I got you. If you didn't, you could have told me. Geico makes it easy. Just go to Geico.com anytime to update or check your policy without all the extra drama. I even had a Safeway makes it easy to save at the pump with your club card because you can use up to 20 cents per gallon in Safeway gas rewards at participating Chevron and Texaco stations. Get more mileage out of your grocery budget, up to 20 cents per gallon. When you shop more at Safeway, you save more at Chevron and Texaco. Maximum reward at participating Chevron or Texaco stations is 20 cents per gallon in a single fill-up, up to 25 gallons. Cannot be combined with any other Safeway gas reward offer. Restrictions and exclusions apply. See complete details at Safeway.com or in-store.